Okay, so I just downloaded this app and I'm not really quite sure how well it's going to work, but we are gonna to try to record some stuff for Monday's exam so we can hopefully make it through another week of nursing school. Woo. All right, we are gonna start with some normal blood gas levels and some normal electrolyte levels. Um, starting with pH level in the blood. So 6.8 to 7.8 is the range of pH. If it's lower than 6.8 or higher than 7.8, it's going to result in death. So 6.8 to 3.5 is acidosis, 7.35 to 7.45 is a normal range, and 7.45 to 7.8 is alkalosis. So acidosis is low, 6.8 to 7.35, and alkalosis is high, 7.45 to 7.8, and normal is 7.35 to 7.45. We have bicarbonate, which is the base, HCO3. 22 to 26 is normal. High means that there's not enough CO2 in the blood, and low indicates organ failure, which is usually kidney failure. HCO3, normal, 22 to 26. CO2, normal, is 35 to 45. High CO2 leads to acidosis, confusion, and fatigue. Um, BiPAP machines or vents are usually used to balance CO2. So normal CO2, 35 to 45. SAO2, or oxygen saturation in the blood, normal is 93 to 100%. You'll see patients with COPD will have 88 to 90%. Normal SAO2, 93 to 100. PAO2 um, should not widely differ from SAO2. It's measure, measured in the arterial blood. Um, low means hypoxia. So the normal PAO2 is anywhere between 80 and 100. Lactic acid. All right, so high lactic acid is usually seen in patients who are acidotic. Um, it's usually caused by sepsis, hypoxia, diabetic ketoacidosis, or if they have organ failure. Arterial lactic acid, the normal range is 0 0.5 to 1.6. Venous lactic acid, normal range is 0 0.5 to 2.2. Now we have some of the electrolytes. So calcium, normal range, 8.5 to 10.2. High calcium will result in symptoms such as bone pain, muscle weakness, excessive thirst, and nausea. Low calcium will result in symptoms such as numbness and tingling in the digits, muscle cramps, wheezing, and fatigue. So normal calcium, 8.5 to 10.2. Normal potassium, 3.5 to 5. High will equal heart arrhythmias, numbness, tingling, breathing problems, and eventually death. And low will result in muscle weakness, fatigue, and heart arrhythmias. Normal potassium, 3.5 to 5. Normal sodium, 135 to 145. High will equal in tremors, confusion, and tachycardia. And low will, all, will show signs of nausea and vomiting, seizures, and neurological deficits. So normal sodium, 135 to 145. Phosphorus, normal is 2.5 to 4.5. High will give you osteoporosis or cardiovascular disease. And low will cause changes in mental state, bone pain, um, fatigue, weight loss, and weakness. So normal phosphorus, 2.5 to 4.5. Normal magnesium, 1.5 to 2. 
High will diminish deep tendon reflexes, give you a headache, nausea, and drowsiness. And low will give you muscle weakness, twitches, tremors, um, insomnia, and drowsiness. Normal magnesium, 1.5 to 2. Normal chloride level is 95 to 105. Um, High or low will give you diarrhea and vomiting. So normal chloride levels are 95 to 105. So isotonic IV solutions include normal saline, lactated ringers, D5W, and Normosol R. So normal saline is 0.9% sodium in water. It's a crystalloid solution. Um, it increases circulating plasma volume when red blood cells are adequate and used as a fluid replacement for diabetic ketoacidosis, metabolic alkalosis, hypercalcemia, hyponatremia, shock or blood transfusions. It's helpful for sodium replacement. Do not use normal saline in patients who have heart failure, edema, or hypernatremia because it replaces extracellular fluid and can lead to fluid overload. So that is normal saline, which is isotonic. Lactated ringers, or LR, which is also isotonic, is a normal saline mix with, a, with electrolytes and a buffer. So the electrolytes it has are potassium, calcium, and it also has the buffer, which is the lactate. Um, it does not contain magnesium. Don't use it in patients with hyperkalemia because it can cause renal failure since it has potassium. And do not use in patients with liver disease since they can't metabolize a lactate or the buffer. It is used for fluid replacement and buffers the pH. Um, it's used when there's hypovolemia dehydration, burns, uh, lower GI fluid loss, or acute blood loss. So that's lactated ringers, or normal saline with potassium, calcium, and a lactate. D5W, which is isotonic, is dextrose in 5%, no, sorry, dextrose 5% in water. It's a crystalloid solution as well. It provides 170 to 200 calories per 1,000 cc's, and it's used to raise total fluid volume. It's helpful in rehydrating uh, patients that have fluid loss and dehydration, uh, hypernatremia. It is isotonic, but it's physiologically hypotonic because the dextrose is metabolized so quickly when it hits the body that only the water remains. It's dextrose 5% in water. Normosol R is isotonic and it's used to replace fluids and buffer pH. It is used for the replacement of acute extracellular fluid, volume loss in surgery, trauma, burns, or shock. It's used as an adjunct to restore a decrease in circulatory volume in patients with moderate blood loss. So that is Normosol R. There's one hypotonic IV solution we have, which is one-half NS or one-half normal saline. One-half NS is 0.45% sodium in water. It's a crystalloid solution that is used for water replacement. Um, it's also used in diabetic ketoacidosis. So initially in diabetic ketoacidosis, you'll use normal saline followed by one-half normal saline, followed by the dextrose infusion. 
It's also used in patients that have sodium and chloride depletion, gastric fluid loss um, from NG suctioning, or vomiting. It may cause cardiovascular collapse or increase intracranial pressure. Um, don't use it in patients with liver disease, trauma, or burns. And it's helpful for, helpful for establishing renal functioning. So there are three kinds of hypertonic IV solutions. We have D5NS, D5 1/2NS, and D5LR. Let's start with D5LR. It's 5% dextrose in lactated ringers. So lactated ringers is an isotonic solution. When you add the 5% dextrose, it becomes a hypertonic solution. D5LR, hypertonic, LR, isotonic. So you're gonna use it for the same things that you use LR for, but it also provides about 180 calories per 1,000 cc's. It's indicated as a source of water, electrolyte, and calorie replenishment, or it can be used as an alkalinizing agent. Um, so LR, which is used as a fluid replacement, it buffers pH, it's used in hypovolemia, dehydration, burns, lower GI fluid loss, and acute blood loss. LR, if you remember, is normal saline with potassium, calcium, and lactate, which is the buffer. Then there is D5NS, which is also hypertonic. So D5NS is 5% dextrose in 0.9% saline. It is used for hypotonic dehydration, and it replaces fluid, sodium, chloride, and calories. It's used for the temporary treatment of circulatory insufficiency and Addisonian crisis. So you wanna watch for fluid overload and do not use for patients with cardiac or renal failure. That's D5NS. D5 1 half NS is just gonna be dextrose 5% in 0.45% saline. It is the initial treatment, no, that's wrong. It is used secondary in diabetic ketoacidosis after an initial treatment of normal saline and half normal saline solution. It prevents hypoglycemia and cerebral edema. So for diabetic ketoacidosis, you're gonna initially use normal saline, then half normal saline, then D5 one half normal saline. You're only gonna use it in diabetic ketoacidosis when the glucose falls below 250 milligrams. It is the most common post-operative fluid, and it's useful for daily maintenance of body fluids and nutrition, as well as rehydration. So it's D5 1 half NS. Just kind of a little bit of a mixture of some periop stuff that was in the slides. Um, Preoperative teaching, there's three different types of information you're going to give your patient. You're going to give sensory information, which, which is what they're going to see, hear, smell, and feel during surgery process information, which is a general flow of what's going to happen, and then procedural information, which is specific procedure details. So you're giving that to your patient preoperatively. Preop meds, they include benzos, which are sedatives, anticholinergenics, which reduce secretions, opioids to decrease pain, antiemetics to decrease nausea and vomiting, and antibiotics to decrease the risk of endocarditis and wound infection. Antibiotics pre-surgery are usually given through IV. Um, you're also going to give beta blockers to control blood pressure and MI if required. SBAR is how you're going to transfer information between nurses or physicians. Um, S is situation. 
So we're going to give the name, age, surgical procedure, surgeon, and site. B is background, which is significant history, allergies, and medications. A is assessment, baseline vitals, surgical findings, and coping strategies. And R is recommendation, so the care is still needed, IV antibiotics still needed, and positioning concerns. Postoperative venous thromboembolism, or VTE. It's a concern for any surgical patient, and it includes a deep vein thrombosis and a pulmonary embolism. Anti-embolism stockings or sequential compression devices are used in order to try to avoid this. Um, they're applied to the legs preoperatively. Surgery on patients with Addison's disease. So Addison's disease is a primary adrenal insufficiency. It's long-term endocrine disorder in which adrenal glands do not produce enough steroid hormones. Stress of surgery may require an increased dose of IV corticosteroids to try to avoid an Addisonian crisis. Nutritional concerns during surgery, you wanna watch the fluid and electrolyte levels, um, especially important on older adults. Protein, vitamin A, vitamin C, and vitamin B complex deficiencies are significant because those are what are essential for wound healing. So protein, vitamin A, vitamin C, and vitamin B complex. Caffeine withdrawal headaches may be confused with spinal headaches, so you want to make sure your patient does not go through caffeine withdrawal during surgery. Different types of anesthesia. They include local anesthesia, general anesthesia, regional nerve blocks, which is grouped into spinal or epidurals, as well as field blocks. So local anesthesia creates the loss of sensation without a loss of consciousness. It does this by interrupting the generation of nerve impulses by altering the flow of sodium into nerve cells through cell membranes. It's gonna block the ANS, then the somatic sensory system, then the somatic motor system and it's gonna result in an ANS blockade, anesthesia, and skeletal muscle paralysis. The types of local anesthesia include topical, nebulized, local infiltration, and regional nerve block, and the classes are esters and amides, A-M-I-D-E-S. Local anesthesia is usually used because it gives you rapid recovery. Regional nerve blocks, there are spinals and epidurals, Spinals go into the cerebral spinal fluid, and they are for autonomic sensory and motor blockade below the level of innervation. Epidurals go into the epidural space in the thoracic or lumbar areas of the spine, and they block sensory pathways but leave motor function intact. Common nerve blocks, there's a brachial plexus, IV Beyer block, B-I-E-H-R, femoral block, auxiliary block, cervical, sciatic, ankle, and retrobulbar blocks. The difference between nerve blocks and field blocks, nerve blocks are an injection around or into a block of nerves and they block the sensation. Um, they're often used for surgery or on an extremity or for chronic pain. Field blocks are injections around the operative field for procedures of the chest, plastic surgery, dental surgery, and hernia repairs. So nerve blocks are injections around or into a block of nerves to block sensation, and field blocks are injections around the operative field for procedures on the chest, plastic surgery, dental, and hernia repairs.
There are medications given in adjunct to general anesthesia. These include benzodiazepines, opioids, neuromuscular blocking agents, and antiemetics. So benzodiazepines are given to reduce anxiety preoperatively. Um, they promote amnesia. They're given to induce anesthesia and can be used as the agent in conscious or moderate sedation, and they must be administered slowly. That's benzodiazepines. Antiemetics are given to decrease nausea and vomiting and decrease the risk of aspiration. However, they may cause post-operative dizziness, increased drowsiness, and respiratory depression. That's antiemetics. Opioids are given pre, peri, and post-op. Um, they're given for sedation and pain control. Also given to induce anesthesia um, and as pain management postoperatively. They can cause respiratory depression, which is intentional during surgery, but may cause post-op distress and delay the awakening postoperatively. Um, they may also trigger nausea and vomiting. Neuromuscular blocking agents are given to facilitate airway placement um, and for endotracheal intubation. They relax and cause paralysis of the skeletal muscles and cause total flaccid paralysis. So it requires mechanical ventilation, um, blocks contract contraction of the diaphragm. So as soon as they are given, the patient must be intubated. That's neuromuscular blocking agents. Post-op and discharge concerns. So malignant hypothermia is a big one because patients can die. Um, it usually occurs under general anesthesia, but may also occur in recovery. It happens in affected people exposed to certain anesthetic agents, and it may have a genetic quality to it. Causes tachycardia, dysrhythmias, muscle rigidity, hypotension, and rapid breathing. Um, the hypothermia aspect is a late sign of it, and the temperature will increase 1 to 2 degrees Celsius every 5 minutes. It is an inherited hypermetabolism of skeletal muscle and results in altered control of intracellular calcium. Also presents with rigidity of skeletal muscles. Anaphylactic reactions are another cause of death. Um, they are manifested during surgery, but they may be masked by the anesthesia. Vigilance and rapid intervention are essential. Um, symptoms include hypotension, tachycardia, bronchospasms, pulmonary edema, and they're mainly caused from latex and antibiotics. Reasons to call the surgeon postoperatively. So hypotension and normal pulse with warm, dry skin is normal, and it's related to vasodilating effects of anesthesia, so you just want to monitor that and not rush to call the surgeon. However, Hypotension with rapid or weak pulse, cold, clammy skin may indicate impending hypovolemic shock, and you need to call the surgeon right away and do emergency things to avoid that. <laughs> okay, so post-op, you want to call the surgeon if systolic blood pressure is less than 90 or greater than 160. Call the surgeon if the pulse is less than 60 or greater than 120. If the pulse pressure narrows or if there's any change in heart rhythm whatsoever. Um, if blood pressure is gradually increasing or decreasing after various times you took it. Um, or if there's a significant deviation from pre-op readings. 
discharge criteria from post-op phase one, which would be the recovery room. Um, the patient's going to be either awake or at their baseline. Their vitals are stable or at their baseline. There's no excess bleeding or drainage, no respiratory depression. Their oxygen saturation needs to be above 90. Um, pain needs to be managed. Nausea and vomiting controlled and report given to the next nurse, which is going to be the floor nurse of the unit that they are going to. If it is a same-day surgery or ambulatory surgery, the discharge criteria is stable vitals, no bleeding, no nausea, vomiting, controlled pain, voided as indicated, no dizziness when they're standing or walking. Um, they can't have any IV opioids in the past 30 minutes prior to discharge, and they must be able to ambulate if it's not contraindicated. Just some of the bulleted points for fluid and electrolyte balance. Body composition, total body water is 40 liters. Um, there are two compartments for fluid in the body. There's intracellular, which is within the cell membrane, extracellular, which is outside of the cell. The extracellular, there's interstitial, which is between and around the cells, which is also called the third space, and intravascular, which is watery plasma, serum portion of the blood, which are red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets suspended are in that area. Electrolytes are substances that when melted or dissolved in water disassociates with ions, which are the particles that carry an electric charge. A change in serum electrolytes will cause a change in fluid volume. Osmotic pressure is the amount of pressure required to stop osmotic flow of water, and it's determined by the concentration of solutes in a solution. Fluid tonicity, there's isotonic, hypotonic, or hypertonic. Hydrostatic pressure, blood pressure generated by heart contraction, and oncotic pressure, which is osmotic pressure caused by plasma proteins. Fluid regulation, the primary regulator is thirst. The thirst control center is in the hypothalamus, and the major stimulus to drink is increased plasma, osmolarity, and decreased blood volume or dry mouth. Fluid output occurs through the kidneys, lungs, skin, and GI tract. Um, the kidney is the major organ of fluid balance, urine production, the GI tract through feces, skin and lungs, insensible water loss. Insensible water loss counts for approximately 600 to 900 milliliters a day and does not cause electrolyte loss. It's invisible evaporation from the lungs and the skin. Hormone control, ADH, decreases the production of urine by increasing reabsorption of water into the renal tubules. Aldosterone is a mineral corticoid produced by the adrenal cortex and regulates sodium and potassium balance. Elderly patients are at a high risk for fluid volume deficits and excess and electrolyte imbalances. Um, renal function must be monitored closely, intake and output, and changes in the serum, serum creatine level. Fluid and electrolyte imbalances are directly caused by illness or disease, burns or heart failure. Um, result of therapeutic measures such as IV fluid replacement or diuretics. Isotonic is the loss or gain of water and electrolytes in equal proportions. Osmolar is the loss or gain of only water. Osmolality of serum is altered. Extracellular fluid volume deficit or hypovolemia is an abnormal loss of normal body fluids, inadequate intake, or plasma to interstitial fluid shift. 
clinical manifestations related to loss of vascular volume as well as CNS effects. Treatment is replace water and electrolytes with balanced IV solutions. Hypervolemia is fluid volume excess. Hypervolemia can cause a loss of appetite and nausea, decreased hematocrit, hematocrit, increased urine output, increased systolic blood pressure, heart rate, respirations, um, peripheral edema, weight gain, puffy, puffy eyelids, and third spacing. Electrolytes are important for maintaining fluid balance, contributing to acid-base regulation, facilitating enzyme reactions, and transmitting neuromuscular reactions. They must be obtained through diet and excreted in urine. Some are not stored and must be consumed daily. Hyponatremia, or low sodium levels, um, will create neurological changes. You want to monitor them closely. Um, Personality changes, anxiety, muscle twitching, cardiovascular problems. This is when the sodium is less than 135. The treatment, uh, you can restrict fluids, INO, and daily weights. Um, Hypernatremia occurs in excess water loss or sodium excess. Will create thirst, dry skin, mucous membranes, and we messed up. This is when sodium is greater than 145. Will cause agitation, restlessness, and fatigue, as well as weight gain and tachycardia. Hypernatremia is corrected slowly over 48 hours or more. Rapid treatment can produce loss of consciousness and death, and normal saline is used to correct hypernatremia. Whenever there's a sodium imbalance, there will also be a chloride imbalance because where sodium goes, chloride follows. Um, hypochloremia is related to excess sodium loss, and it'll manifest in twitching, tremors, and it's when the chloride is less than 95. Hyperchloremia is related to excess replacement of sodium, and this is when the chloride is greater than 108, and it'll manifest in acidosis, weakness, and it'll put you at risk for a dysrhythmia or a coma. Potassium controls intercellular fluid volume and regulates neuromuscular impulses, muscle contraction, and normal electrical activity of the heart. It is derived dietarily, and it's needed for glycogen formation, protein synthesis, cell growth, and correction of acid-base balance. It's regulated in the kidneys. Hypokalemia, whenever potassium is less than 3.5, will cause weakness, muscle fatigue, cardiac arrhythmias, uh, irregular pulses, and decreased deep tendon reflexes. Will also cause decreased bowel sounds. Most serious clinical problems are cardiac changes, um, including a flattened T wave and then eventually an emergence in the U wave. This is an increased incidence of potentially lethal ventricular dysrhythmia. Interventions of hypokalemia include using a diluted KCL IV um, that needs to be thoroughly mixed when adding it to an IV infusion or else potassium will layer at the bottom of the bag and cause a burning at the IV site, and you don't want to exceed 10 MEQ per hour. You never want to give potassium as an IV push or as a bolus, and you need to administer it with food. Magnesium levels must be normal for effective repletion of potassium. Hyperkalemia can be caused by cell destruction as contents of the cell are released into the bloodstream. This will happen with trauma or chemo, it causes an increase, or when you increase foods with high potassium or potassium supplements, it can cause renal failure. 
This manifests also through the heart and creates increased muscular irritability, cardiac arrhythmias, skeletal twitching, cramping, uh, weak or paralyzed skeletal muscles, increased diarrhea, irritability, and confusion, and it'll give you a tall, tented T-wave and a prolonged QRS. The heart rate will go down and there will be an irregular pulse and it will also cause acidosis. This is when the potassium is greater than 5 MEQ. Nursing interventions for hyperkalemia. Insulin drives the potassium into the cells, so you're going to need to monitor the blood sugar and provide glucose to prevent hypoglycemia. Administration of calcium gluconate IV, and you want to eliminate any oral and parenteral potassium intake. Calcium is required for cellular membrane integrity and structure, cardiac conduction, blood coagulation, bone growth and formation, and muscle contractions. It also helps carry nerve messages from the brain to the nerve cells. Vitamin D and protein are necessary for absorption and use of calcium. Hypoclassemia um, will cause neuromuscular effects, muscle irritability, muscle tremors, severe cramps, bleeding, hyperactive deep tendon reflexes. So when your calcium is low, you'll have hyperactive deep tendon reflexes. Also can cause numbness and tingling around the mouth or extremities, and this is when calcium is less than 4.5 ionized or less than 8.5 total. Hypercalcemia is when calcium is greater than 5.5 ionized or greater than 10.5 total, and it will cause weakness, stupor, coma, depressed reflexes, decreased memory, confusion, nausea, vomiting, and bone pain. Um, you need to increase fluid intake, administer phosphate, and excrete, make sure that there's calcium being excreted in the urine. Phosphate is essential to the function of muscle, red blood cells, and the nervous system, and it's also involved in acid-based buffering system. Um, symptoms may be the opposite of the calcium symptoms, and imbalances in phosphate may manifest in CNS depression, confusion, muscle weakness and pain, dysrhythmias, and cardiomyopathy. Magnesium is essential for enzyme activity, neurochemical activity, and muscular excitability. It activates enzyme systems associated with potassium, calcium, protein, and carbohydrate metabolism, and it's regulated through renal excretion and parathyroid hormone. Sources of magnesium. The recommended daily allowance is 400 to 420 milligrams for adult males, 310 to 320 for adult females. It's widely distributed in food, and green leafy vegetables are a good source. Low magnesium will cause neuromuscular irritability, arrhythmias, angina, tachycardia, and increased blood pressure, confusion, vertigo, tremors, weaknesses. This is when the magnesium is less than 1.5. You can be treated with a magnesium supplement, either IV or PO. Too much magnesium, the usual cause is poor renal excretion. This is when magnesium levels are greater than 2.5. If levels rise too high too quickly, magnesium citrate can be given to a patient with renal failure or respiratory failure. Electrolyte disordered signs and symptoms. Calcium, excess, there's thirst, CNS deterioration, and increased interstitial fluid. Deficit is going to give you muscle twitching, CNS changes, and EKG changes. 
Magnesium, too much, will give you a loss of deep tendon reflexes, depression of the CNS system, and depression of neuromuscular function. And a deficit of magnesium will give you a hyperactive deep tendon reflex and CNS changes. Crystalloids. So isotonic has an osmolality of 250 to 375. Examples are normal saline, D5W, or lactated ringers. They're used to expand the extracellular fluid and do not give a fluid shift. You must assess the patient for hypervolemia. Hypotonic is an osmolality of 250 or less, and that is one-half normal saline. Um, it's used to hydrate the cells. It's used for cellular dehydration and may deplete the circulatory system. Hypertonic is an osmolality of 375 or above. That would be D5NS or D5 one-half NS. It expands vascular volume and is used to decrease swelling, but not for kidney or heart disease. Colloids, which are volume expanders, are used for severe blood loss, shock or trauma, and severe burns with associated loss of plasma. They are albuminin, dextran, plasma, um, red blood cells, or FFP. For IVs, the veins you want to use are the cephalic vein, basilic vein, or median cubital vein. You can also use the metacarpal plexus or the dorsal venous arch, but they're in the hand and you want to avoid them because they hurt. Um, for arteries, there's the brachial artery, the ulnar artery, radial artery, and deep palmar arch. IV infiltration, it's caused by dislodgement of the catheter, puncture or trauma to the vein wall, a pure, poorly secured IV site, high delivery pressure rate, or an over-manipulation of the IV device. And signs and symptoms of infiltration are coolness, leakage, taut skin, dependent edema, absence of blood backflow, sluggish pinkish return, or an infusion alarm or occlusion. A hematoma can be caused by nicking the vein during an unsuccessful attempt. Um, discontinuing the IV cannula without pressure held over the site, or applying a tourniquet too tightly above a previously attempted site. Signs and symptoms of a hematoma include discoloration of the skin or ecmosis surrounding the site, site swelling and discomfort, and it can be treated with direct light pressure with a gauze pad and elevate the extremity and apply ice. Phlebitis can be caused by insertion technique, um, condition of the vein, gauge size, duration of cannulation, or infrequent dressing changes. The signs and symptoms of phlebitis include redness, warmth, swelling, pus, tenderness, palpable cord along the vein, sluggish infusion rate, or an increase in temperature. The treatment is to remove the IV catheter, apply warm or cool compresses. An air embolism. So air is gonna first enter the central veins, get trapped in the blood, then it can be carried to the right ventricle, it can lodge against the pulmonic valve, which blocks the flow of blood. The heart then overfills. The pressure produces bubbles obstructing pulmonary tissue. It causes hypoxia, and then finally shock and death. Dun -dun. Calculating IV rate. So we're gonna do the volume to be infused divided by the time is gonna equal the rate. For example, if a thousand milliliters are infused, you're gonna divide that by 10 hours, if it's given over 10 hours, and it's gonna equal 100 milliliters an hour. 
rate times time is going to equal your volume to be infused. So for example, 100 milliliters per hour times 10 hours, you're going to infuse 1,000 milliliters. Types of IV administration include the primary set, the secondary set, which is the piggy bank, volume control infusion set, or buterol, gravity sets without IV pumps, or special IV pumps. Gravity sets. There's a drop factor, which is the number of drops per milliliter. Droplets are released into the drip chamber. The drop factor is printed on the packaging. Macro drip tubing comes in 12, 10, 15, or 20. So macro drip tubing comes in 10, 12, 15, or 20. Micro drip tubing comes in 60 drops per milliliter. You must calculate the flow rate in drops per minute. Factors that affect the rate for gravity sets include positioning of the arm, patency of the tubing, height of the bag, infiltration or leakage, and the size of the catheter or the vein. For drops per minute, you're going to calculate the total infusion volume times the drop factor. Then you're going to divide that by the total time of infusion in hours times 60 for minutes. So it's total infusion volume times the drop factor, divided by total time of infusion in hours times 60 minutes. Your answer is going to give you GTTS, which is drops per minute. Low pH will give you acidosis. So acidosis with a high pCO2 is going to give you respiratory acidosis. Acidosis with a low HCO3 is going to give you metabolic acidosis. High pH is going to give you alkalemia. So alkalemia with a low pCO2 is going to give you respiratory alkalosis. Alkalemia with a high HCO3 is going to give you metabolic acidosis. Normal function of the body cells depends on the maintenance of that chemical balance within a normal range. Chemical buffers prevent major changes in the pH by accepting or giving up hydrogen ions. Hydrogen ions are constantly released in the body as waste products from the metabolism of protein, fat, and glucose. Chemical buffers are substances that can prevent major changes in the body fluids by accepting or releasing hydrogen ions. So acids, such as carbonic acid, and bases are bicarb. An acid is a substance that donates hydrogen ions. Because of this, when an acid is dissolved in water, the balance between hydrogen and hydroxide ions is shifted. A base is a substance that accepts hydrogen ions. When a base is dissolved in water, the balance between hydrogen ions and hydroxide ions shifts the opposite way. The base soaks up the hydrogen ions. The body has three primary buffer systems, plasma proteins, hemoglobin, and bicarbonate carbonic acid. Normally, 20 parts of bicarb to one part carbonic acid is needed to maintain a pH of 7.4. That equation, 20 parts bicarb to one part carbonic acid, is the Henderson-Hasselbalch equation. The lungs are the first line of protection in the acid-base regulation and control most of the acid-base regulation. Controls regulated the CO2, therefore the carbonic acid, 
of the extracellular fluid plasma by adjusting ventilation in response to the amount of CO2 and to a lesser extent of O2 in the blood. They respond to metabolic disturbances by either eliminating or retaining CO2, and carbonic acid is transformed back into CO2 in the lungs and excreted on exhalation. The respiratory system acts within minutes to correct a sudden change in CO2. After several days, it only has a weak effect on the respiratory stimulant. Increased levels of circulating hydrogen ions result in rapid stimulation of peripheral chemoreceptors, which then increase the respiratory rate within minutes, but it takes several hours for it to take full effect. Hyperventilation means less CO2 in the blood as more CO2 is exhaled, which will form a which will lead to the formation of less carbonic acid and therefore an alkaline pH or a higher pH. So hyperventilation is gonna lead to alkalosis. Hypoventilation yields the opposite. In electrolytes, CO2 content is the sum of the bicarb, which is 24 MEQ normal, and dissolved CO2 gas, which is 1.2, which gives you the 20 to one ratio. So normal CO2 is 25.2 MEQ over liter. CO2 reflects concentration of bicarb, largely a measurement of metabolic function. PaCO2 is partial pressure of CO2 gas in the arterial blood, which is a respiratory function. The renal system. It controls and regulates bicarb or HCO3 level. Acidosis, the kidneys will excrete hydrogen ions into the body and reabsorb bicarb ions, which will give you a low pH. Alkalosis, the kidneys retain the hydrogen ions and excrete bicarb ions into the body, which will give you a high pH. Hydrogen is exchanged for potassium to raise or lower pH. The kidneys have a slower response, but a more permanent response, but they take hours or days. The normal HCO3 or bicarbonate is 22 to 26. In response to acidosis, kidneys excrete hydrogen ions and conserve bicarb ions. They also combine hydrogen ions with phosphates and excrete the hydrogen as phosphoric acid to conserve sodium and potassium. Hydrogen ions are removed and HCO3 is added back into the blood. Kidneys regulate hydrogen concentration by combining hydrogen with ammonia to form ammonium and the reverse reaction is also possible to retain hydrogen. In response to alkalosis, the kidneys retain hydrogen ions through decreased excretion and excrete bicarb ions. If hyponatremia, sodium is reabsorbed, requiring the hydrogen excretion and bicarb retention. If hypokalemia is present, potassium is reabsorbed in the place of hydrogen. The kidneys excrete only 1% of the hydrogen excess, therefore they are slow to compensate and usually require 24 to 48 hours, but they can permanently adjust the blood pH. APG values. Acidosis is a pH less than 7.35. Alkalosis is a pH greater than 7.45. HCO3, norm 22 to 26. PaCO2, norm 35 to 45. PaO2, norm 80 to 100. 
SAO2, norm 93% to 99%, BE, norm negative 2 to positive 2. BE and BD is a calculated value that reflects an excess or deficit in the total amount of base present to buffer body acids. It reflects metabolic body disturbances. It's always negative or negative 2 in metabolic acidosis, and it's always positive or positive 2 in metabolic alkalosis. Normal is between the ranges of negative 2 and positive 2. At a higher pH range, tissue oxygenation and neuromuscular function is impaired. Hemoglobin holds onto the O2. At the lower pH range, or acidosis, there is a decreased cardiac contra contractility, decreases in vascular responses, and affects actions of drugs. Compensation versus correction. Compensation, abnormal pH is returned towards normal by altering the component, not primarily affected. If PaCO2 is high, HCO3 is retained to compensate. In correction, abnormal pH is returned toward normal by altering the component primarily affected. If PaCO2 is high, PaCO2 is lowered, correcting the abnormality. Respiratory imbalances are compensated for by the renal system. Metabolic imbalances are compensated for by the respiratory system. Compensated imbalances usually are associated with chronic disorders such as COPD. Generally, compensation is complete only in chronic respiratory alkalosis. Three forms of compensation are primary, combined and mixed, or compensated. Combined or mixed involve both a metabolic and respiratory imbalance occurring at the same time. It occurs when one disturbance results in acidosis while the other results in alkalosis. Both disturbances are acidosis or both disturbances are alkalosis. Respiratory acidosis is when PaCO2 is up and pH is down. It's a carbonic acid excess that is caused by hypoventilation, respiratory failure, pneumonia, COPD, NARC or sedative OD, airway obstruction, pain or post-op shallow breaths. Hypoventilation results in a buildup of CO2, then the carbonic acid accumulates in the blood. Carbonic acid dis dissociates, liberating hydrogen, and a decrease in pH occurs. If CO2 is not eliminated from the blood, acidosis results from accumulation of carbonic acid. In acute respiratory acidosis, the renal compensatory mechanisms begin to operate within 24 hours. Until the renal mechanisms have an effect, the serum bicarbonate level will usually be normal. This can happen with obstructive lung disease, pneumothorax, oversedation, and neuromuscular disorders. Also happens with hypoventilation with a mechanical ventilator, the symptoms of respiratory acidosis are an increased heart rate, a headache, hypoventilation, confusion, dizziness, palpitations, tachycardia, seizures, muscle twitching, restlessness, warm flush skin, and unconsciousness. Interventions include monitoring respiratory status, bed and high fowlers, bronchodilators, narc antagonist, hydration, uh, encourage coughing and deep breathing, and compensation.
Respiratory alkalosis is when PaCO2 is down and pH is up. Carbonic acid deficit that is caused by hyperventilation, fever, anxiety, CNS disorders, or mechanical overventilation. They increase ventilation rate and decrease the partial pressure of the arterial carbon dioxide, which is the PaCO2 level. In acute respiratory alkalosis, aggressive treatment of the causes of hypoxemia is essential and usually does not allow time for compensation to occur. However, buffering of the acute respiratory alkalosis may occur with shifting of bicarbonate, HCO3, into cells for exchange for chloride. This can happen with hypoxia, nervousness and anxiety, pulmonary embolus, pregnancy, hyperventilation with mechanical ventilation, brain injury, early CHF, fever, congestive heart failure, early asthma, or severe anemia. The symptoms of respiratory alkalosis include lightheadedness, dizziness, inability to concentrate, numbness, tingling in extremities, shortness of breath, tremors, blurred vision, rapid deep respirations, hyperactive deep tendon reflexes, and extreme cardiac arrhythmias. Interventions include assisting the patient to breathe more slowly into a paper bag or a non-rebreather mask, activated charcoal or alkaline diuresis if it is a silicate, I don't know, Metabolic acidosis is when HCO3 is down and pH is down. It's a base bicarbonate deficit that's caused by ketoacidosis, lactic acid accumulation, which is shock, severe diarrhea, kidney disease, starvation, or cardiac arrest. Metabolic acidosis symptoms include headache, confusion, stupor, drowsiness, increased respiratory rate and depth, or Kussmaul respirations nausea and vomiting, arrhythmias, twitching, and convulsions. Interventions include monitoring INO, monitor LOC, IV sodium bicarb, the causes, treating the underlying problem. Metabolic alkalosis caused by an increase in HCO3 and an increase in pH. It's when the base bicarbonate excess is caused by prolonged vomiting or gastric suction, Cushing's disease, Corticosteroid therapy, severe potassium depletion, or excessive diuretic therapy with potassium-wasting diuretics, also caused by antacids. Symptoms of metabolic alkalosis include symptoms related to decreased calcium, dizziness, tingling of fingers and toes, muscle hypertonicity, decreased respiration, rate and depth, arrhythmias, irritability, and muscle weakness. Interventions include monitoring INOs, monitor LOC, IV fluid, concerns in the elderly, changes in pH are less well tolerated. For every year above 60, the normal PaO2 decreases by one. They have a decreased respiratory function and renal response is not as efficient. Pediatric concerns, infants' kidneys have a limited concentrating ability and and require more H2O to excrete a given amount of solute. They have less of a buffering capacity. They have a tendency toward acidosis, and thermoregulation and stress play a significant role. Pregnancy concerns, they have a compensated respiratory alkalosis. 
total buffering capacity is reduced, more likely to develop severe acidosis when the condition does occur, return to pre-pregnant levels by one to three weeks postpartum.